together. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail.
qualifications, right? Like he's, he's telling you who he is and why he's kind of worthy, right? Um, but it's important to keep going because we get to this verse seven. This is in chapter three. And he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, junk. I'm pretty sure he uses a swear word. Is that right? Do, do theologians know that? That's the, he doesn't use a good word there, right? Like emphasis here. I consider all this rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. but I, I think I hear that and I think the world probably thinks this is foolishness because see God desires wholehearted worship right like we 
We know these things. Like he wants wholehearted worship. We're, we're doing quizzing kids, right? And like so many times it's like, did he follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Did he not follow the Lord? Like this is what he, he has desired ever since he made mankind that we would worship him with our whole entire selves and beings. And, and I think that, that this world, like we know how to worship. We know how to give our all to a lot of things, right? Like sports, shopping, decorating, like you name it. You put in there what you give your all to. But Paul's here saying what all that is junk compared to knowing Christ. And folks, it's it's important that we keep going because like Paul's talking about knowing the sufferings of Christ, right? Like this isn't a pretty glamorous road. But I really think this is the wholehearted worship that God desires. Um, we're going to sing a song called You Are My All in All. Does anybody remember this? This is like an old song, but it might be new to some of you because maybe you weren't born when it was written. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but as we're singing these songs, even this morning, I'm like astounded at the Holy Spirit. I, mean, I shouldn't be surprised at how the Holy Spirit moves, right? Because this is, just, this is just what the Spirit does. But so many of the songs that we've already sang about this morning have talked about this word all. Like, I, I didn't do that, guys. The Lord just led me to this song. So, like, he's bringing this all together. And this word all, um, all in all, I don't even know what that phrase means. But I'm pretty sure when there's, like, this double thing going on, like, it, it literally means everything. It's this wholehearted worship of our entire selves. And um, if we're singing this song and you feel the need to come pray, like, our altars are always open. Um, but let's sing this together. Hopefully... Hopefully you remember it, and if you don't, you'll catch on quickly. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Worship Him now.
thank you for your son. We thank you for the sacrifice he made on the cross. We thank you that the tomb is still, in fact, empty. And that because of that, we're gathered here today in the name of Jesus, knowing that you are among us. You are not a God who is distant and um, you want to be with us. You are with us. And um, we just ask that you would continue to have our hearts open and um, willing to hear from you. Pray that you would be with Pastor Paul as he comes and brings the word that you have laid on his heart. Lord, would your Holy Spirit just continue to move in this place that we would not leave the same people, but that we would be changed because of our encounter with you. We love you and we praise you for who you are and what you've done. Amen. Good morning, church. So I was asked to do the connection moment today, and as most of you probably know, uh, my name is Emily, and I am the community outreach coordinator for our church. Um, so I help um, organize a few different things. Um, one of the things we have coming up is Friday nights uptown, uh, where we set up some games and face painting and things uptown for, for the children of our community. Um, and you'll be seeing more information come out about that soon, so I hope you'll join me in volunteering and helping out with that ministry this summer. Um, but also, one of the main things that I coordinate is our single parent meal ministry. And so I thought I would take an opportunity today to kind of um, give you a little background on kind of how I got to, to where I am, where the Lord has led me, and, and where he's leading me next. Um, because I always think it's, it's interesting whenever I get to hear the stories of, of you all coming up here and sharing your past and how you got to where, how the Lord has led you to where you are. So I thought I'd do that with you this morning. Um, and to do that, I need to go back to uh, when I first got married. So when Clint and I got married, I was 21 years old and I was still in college. And because um, I just couldn't bear the thought of him moving to Marysville without me, that wasn't an option. So we got married before I graduated and we lived in Lancaster for about six months. And Clint was driving from Lancaster to Honda every day and I was driving from Lancaster to Athens every day to finish my degree. And um, we were living in an apartment and newly married and I really just didn't know how to cook. <laughs> I had never really um, had much experience with cooking and baking and that sort of thing. My mom always took care of that and I never got really involved with it. And um, I had all these, you know, fancy new cooking utensils and things we had gotten for wedding gifts and cookbooks. Um, but so I was, I was determined to learn. And so I started experimenting and trying out different recipes and I just, I really wasn't very good at it at first. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, there were a couple of different instances. Um, there was one where I was trying to make just a simple corn casserole, which is super easy. Like you just kind of mix up the ingredients and bake it. There's not much to it. Um, but I made a mistake and used Jiffy biscuit mix instead of Jiffy cornbread mix in that one. And it did not taste good. That's not a good substitute. Uh, I didn't read the box and Clint still, 15 years later, does not let me live that one down. He brings that one up pretty regularly. And um, there was another instance where I had decided I was going to bake a cake. I'd never really done that before. I mix up the batter and I put it in the pan and I get it in the oven and it's starting to smell really good. So I walk into the kitchen and I, to check on it and I see chocolate cake batter oozing out from the bottom of the stove all over the floor. I did not realize I had overfilled the pan. I didn't account for that a cake rises when it bakes and the batter had just come up out of the pan, through the stove, down through and all over the floor and made a giant mess. Um, so 
Me learning to cook and bake was definitely a, a work in progress and, and took several years before, before I uh, made some progress on that. Um, but most of you that know me now know that I have a real passion for cooking and baking. I just, I love feeding people. And so I did learn, eventually got a little better, <laughs> gradually improved. Um, I think it's one of the reasons Clint keeps me around because I feed him, feed him well now. Um, but um, so that's kind of the background of, of how I learned to cook. And through that, even though I was making mistakes and, and not doing it perfectly, I just had this passion for cooking. I really loved it. And so I was determined to get better and um, started using that passion to not only feed my family, but I love inviting other people into our home and, and feeding other people as well. Um, and my passion for that has just grown over the years. Um, and the Lord doesn't place those passions on our hearts for no reason, right? They're, they're to be used for his glory. So fast forward a little bit later, um, Clint and I had two small children, and he had the opportunity to go to Japan for two weeks for work. And um, as he headed off to Japan, and I kind of had to take care of our family on my own for a couple of weeks, um, I was trying to work, work full time, take care of two young kids, make sure everyone was fed and, and stayed alive and got where they needed to go. Um, I just felt the Lord press on my heart during that time that there are people who, this is their life all the time. See, I knew at the end of that two weeks, I would have my partner back. Clint is my best friend. He's a wonderful father. He's always been extremely involved. And I knew I just had to survive for two weeks, and then he would be back to help me with our family. Um, but there are people out there who, who don't have that. They're, they're caring for their children on their own all the time without someone to be like, hey, tag, you're it. I need a break. Like, can you take over for a while while I, while I rest? Um, I've always had that, but there are people who, who don't have that. And that's, that's a real struggle. So I just felt the Lord press on my heart that there was something I needed to do, that I needed to use the passion he had given me and the gifts he had given me to do something more. So I came up with this idea, well, really, the Lord gave me this idea, um, to develop this single-parent meal ministry. And I, I was nervous. I was scared. I didn't know what would come of it. I wasn't sure how it would work, um, but I decided to trust the Lord and go for it. So um, we have now been um, feeding uh, families in our community, single-parent families in our community, for three and a half years. The ministry has grown to the point that we feed 24 families every month. And the feedback that I have received and the relationships I've developed with these moms, and, and we actually have a dad as well in the ministry, um, has just been incredible. Um, I'll, they've told me things like, you know, when I get your text every month letting me know that a meal is coming, it is such a blessing. And it's such a weight off my shoulders to know that I don't have to worry about what's going to be for dinner one night this week. Or, hey, you know that when you bring me this meal, it just, it just makes me feel loved. It just lets me know that you care. Um, and it's, it's been incredible to watch, watch people be involved in the ministry and, and watch, watch what God has done through it. It has been such a blessing in my life. Um, and so now, uh, kind of where I'm headed next is... We have, um, you may have seen something out back behind the church, this kind of wooden structure that we have back there now, if you've driven in the back, uh, what we're calling a blessing box. Um, a few weeks ago, whenever um, 
Paul, Pastor Paul had asked me to um, work on some service projects for our discipleship weekend. Um, my good friend Stephanie and I were brainstorming, and she had this amazing idea of basically like a food pantry box. So if you're um, familiar with the um, like little free libraries where you just kind of like donate books, take books, it, this is going to work essentially the same way. Um, so we have it currently stocked with lots of different non-perishable food items, and it's ready to go for our community. I'm going to start advertising it on social media so that our community is aware that it's there. Um, and so what I'm asking of you is if you would please partner with me in this endeavor. Um, if you could just start, you know, during your regular, regular grocery shopping, if you could start just adding a few extra non-perishable items, make that a part of your regular routine when you shop. Um, things like cereal, peanut butter, pasta, and sauce, things like that, um, that we could keep this stocked for our community. Um, I think that could be a real blessing. People will be able to just pull up take what they need. There's no need for an appointment. There's no need to see anybody. Um, and they can just take what they need and hopefully our community will get involved with donating to it as well. Um, so I'm excited to see what God has done next, is doing next. Um, he, he uses it all for his glory and I'm just so thankful to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Nothing makes a pastor prouder than to hear how God has moved in someone's life and helped them find their place in their ministry. And uh, what, what an awesome ministry that Emily's involved in with feeding people. And, and uh, you know, it gives me pleasure because it's not a ministry that I drove, it's a ministry that God drove. So it survives pastors and regime, regime changes and all that kind of stuff. And, and I see Stephanie doing the blessings in a backpack. And so here we are, we're a church that's feeding people. And wouldn't that be a great reputation to have, that that is the church that feeds people? I think that'd be a pretty good way to be known in our community. So, Emily, thank you for all you do, and we appreciate you and appreciate Clint, too. Um, I said that kind of, that said that bad, didn't I, Clint? But we appreciate Clint and Emily and all they do and their kids and love them. Uh, several years ago, there was a movie called Apollo 13. Everybody remember the movie Apollo 13? Uh, you know, it was a pretty good movie. And has the famous line, Houston, we have a problem. You know, they're on their way to circle the moon, and they have uh, technical problems. And so it's Houston, we have a problem. And, and I think it's pretty easy to see as we look around at our world that we have a problem. It doesn't take an astronaut, it doesn't take a scientist, it doesn't take someone associated with NASA to realize that we have a problem in our world. Uh, there's ugliness all around. Uh, we, we see war and we see hatred and we see jealousy and we see racism and we see uh, sexual immorality and we see greed. We see it all around. We, we can tell. It doesn't take special training to realize that in our world right now, there's a problem. But it's no different than any other time in history. This problem's always been there. And so we're going to talk about this big topic as we talk about letting go of dead things. It's a, it's a big thing to consider, and probably it's more than a one-week sermon. But as we're talking about letting go of dead things, today we're going to talk about sin, shame, and self. Uh, the, these three big things that, that God calls us to let go of as we move from our tombs. Next week, we're going to talk about God's remedy, which is conviction and confession and commitment and community. But today, sin, shame, and self. It all begins in, in the beginning, in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God creates, and he creates uh, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden, and it's perfect, and, and God is in commun 
communion with, with Adam and Eve, and there's this perfect existence. And, and pretty soon, in Genesis 3, we have this event that occurs in the garden where Eve takes a piece of fruit and eats it, and her husband eats it, and, and, and they fall, they, they sin. You know, we, we understand that this is not about the fruit, but it's about who will be God. It's about control. And Adam and Eve choose to be in control instead of God. And so their first impulse is what? Shame. They hide. That's Adam and Eve's response. That's not God's conviction on them. That's Adam and Eve's response is shame. And shame caused them to hide. Shame is a reflection of pride. Guilt and conviction draw us to God. Shame oftentimes takes us from community, from God. But guilt and conviction is good. So we're not saying that we never feel guilt or we never take conviction, feel conviction. But shame was Adam and Eve's response. God pointed out their sin and their guilt and its ramifications. But shame was how they responded. Then from Genesis 3, we, we go to Genesis 4, and Genesis 4 is the positive story of Cain killing Abel. And then we go to Genesis 6, and, and the wickedness of the world, and, and God's grieving in his spirit, and, and the story of Noah and the flood. So it doesn't take too long in the story for sin to raise its ugly head, the self to raise its ugly head. That the world has gone completely off the rails. Sin, at its essence, is my will over God. It's my will over God's will. And where does it end? It ends with personal sin. And it ends with this ideal of the sin nature, original sin, the carnal nature, is the, the phrase that you see sometimes in the Bible. Now, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, so everybody in this room, no exceptions, everyone in this room have, has sinned at some point, and, and hopefully you've asked for forgiveness from God for those sins, right? Sin touches everybody. Everybody has to deal with this sin nature, this original nature that, that we're born with. And, and, and all of us have to deal with this. Augustine coined the phrase, incurvitus in se, which means life turned into oneself. And this is the nature that we, we all possess at birth. And, 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 and so we all deal with this ideal that life is turned in on us, that, that, that the only thing that matters is me. And it doesn't take too long in a child's life to see this. I mean, babies are innocent and beautiful, but take their toy and see if they don't cry, right? And some of you, I take your toys and you still cry. So we see that nature, it, it, it's, it's not hidden. It's life turned in to oneself. Paul describes it like this in Romans 7, 15 through 24. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, and it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in the God's law, but see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, now the, the phrase that Paul's using here in verse 24, he's referring to a form of Roman capital punishment. In Roman law, if someone would kill someone, oftentimes the penalty would be that they would strap that dead body to the person that committed the crime and allow that person to carry that body with them while that body decayed and eventually killed them. What an awful image. (laughs) This is the image that Paul's giving. He's saying, I'm carrying around this dead body body and it's bringing decay to my life sin is a dead thing sin is a dead thing as we come out of the grave there's there's dead things that we need to let go of and 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 it's easy to pick little things but this big thing that oftentimes invades your life and my life is this problem of sin that we don't deal with. We, we hold on to things. We hold on to, 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 to some sins. It's easy to see some things as, as, as sins that we let go of. So, so we let go of sexual immorality, but there's other things that we hold on to. Probably in this room, there's not anybody that's killed anybody this week. If you've killed anybody this week, raise your hand. Just, okay, no. Most of us don't steal. You know, we're pretty good with the Ten Commandments. But the problem is there's more than the Ten Commandments. Um, Sin is more encompassing than that. Um, Galatians 5, 19 through 20 says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Okay, well, you know, I can read that, and I'm pretty good there. Uh, I am faithful to my wife. I love my wife. I I couldn't think of anyone else I'd want to be around. I am faithful to my wife. I don't debauch. I don't even know what debauch means. (laughs) I don't worship idols. You know, I don't have any idols in my basement that I go worship. And I don't believe I've cast any spells this week. So I'm pretty good with that. But the problem is, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. And the list with these big things of sexual immorality and witchcraft, Paul includes these things. And what it tells us is there's not black sins and white sins. There's just sin. And God is calling his people to live a life that's free of sin. Not just these big things, but these things that we sometimes hold on to. See, bitterness, bitterness is sin, and it's a dead thing. Hatred is sin, and it's a dead thing. Dissension is sin, and it's a dead thing. Greed is sin, and it's a dead thing. Unforgiveness is sin, and it's a dead thing. See, maybe... Maybe you've struggled with those things. I have. You know, there's times in my life I've had to struggle through some of these things. And I think the temptation is two responses. That the first response is shame, and we hide. We push that down. It's there. We know that we're bitter. We know that we hold a grudge. We know that there's fractions and dissension. We know that we're jealous. We know that there's greed, and we just hide it. We come to church on Sunday, and we put on that face, and we smile, and we shake hands, even though all these things are going on inside. Sometimes we justify We just give up. We begin to make excuses. Well, you know, I can be mad at that person because they did this. That's the problem about unforgiveness in the Bible. God God doesn't put that on the other person. He puts it on us. He doesn't say forgive if. God just says forgive. And so sometimes we justify and we, 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 we go through the motions, and, and it's there, and, and it's there so long that it just seems normal. This dead thing, this body of sin that's strapped to us, that's causing decay to our life, we just accept it. What's the alternative? Keep confessing. Keep seeking. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. doesn't say, hey, get one shot at it. <laughs> you know, as I read that, John's talking about this, this lifelong journey of, of when I'm wrong, I confess and I ask God to forgive me. You know, pastor, man, it's too late. I've just, I've just done too much. You, you don't understand. It's, it's been 20 years and I've dealt with this. You remember what we talked about last week? Lazarus was in the grave four days. Four days. Because Jesus wanted to prove the point that nothing is impossible with God. You are never too late in God's eyes. And I don't care if it's been 20 years or 30 years. Keep seeking. Keep confessing. Keep, forget, keep coming to the altar. Keep praying. Keep asking. Pursue God. 
Maybe if you were honest, you would say you're curved into yourself. <laughs> that, this, this, that it's not just individual things, but that you're really just curved into yourself. In our theology, we, we believe that God does not just save you in your sins, but God saves you from your sins. We believe that God doesn't just want to forgive us and transport us to heaven and just continue to forgive us, but, but we believe that God wants to change our very nature. He wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to curve us from ourself towards him. In my life, the best way I can explain this change in me in my sanctification experience is that before I was curved towards myself and now I'm curved towards God. And what that means for me is not that I'm always perfect. I'm not. And it doesn't mean that I never have to confess I do. It doesn't mean that I never miss the mark or I never sin because I do. But what it means is my spirit is quickened and, and when I do, God talks to me and speaks to me in such a way that I can respond immediately and not let it carry on for weeks and weeks and weeks. See, God wants to turn us towards him. Not, not, not that he's finished with us. And I, and I think oftentimes in our theology, we get this ideal that, well, now we're done. But we're not. It's a lifelong journey, and it's in that time when you're committed to him and you're sold out to him and you're curved towards him that God can do his most effective work. Maybe you're dealing with that nature problem. Maybe it's there and you're just curved in on yourself. And every day, it's a battle to say yes to God. Maybe you need that heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. As the Old Testament prophet writes, we know the story of David. David has this great failure. You know, he's a man after God's own heart. He's writing all this worship music and, you know, he's leading Israel. And, you know, he's just this great king and he stays back and he has this great moral failure with Bathsheba. And David writes this great Psalm 51 and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are our God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will redeclare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Maybe this morning, you just need to be a little bit heartbroken for your condition. Maybe you just need to come one more time and say, God, it's yours. We're going to close this morning with communion. And probably it would have been better to do next week as we talk about community and all that, but it's the first Sunday of the month, and it's appropriate now because when we receive communion, we acknowledge that we are saved by God's grace alone. We are sustained by God's grace. And so as we receive these elements, we're reminded of the goodness of God, the sacrifice that Jesus made, but we're also reminded we're in this together. One thing that sin does, sin turns us into people who do things by ourselves. God calls us together. And so as we receive these elements, as we receive these elements, it's a reminder of the power and the significance of the body and the salvation that we find here. Maybe you need to respond first before we begin to receive the elements. So let's all bow our heads. Amy's just going to play, and we're not going to sing yet, just play. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and I'm going to invite you just to talk to God about where you're at, to be honest with him. Lord, here we are. Once again, prepared to eat at your table. when I consider you and your holiness I'll just say I don't match up I want to I want to think like Jesus I want to live like Jesus but then I look back at my last past week and Lord there's times I just didn't quite do it I'm sorry Lord I'm thankful that your spirit still speaks. That, that although oftentimes we're tempted to hide, there's no place we can hide from you. So Lord, help us to respond to your sweet spirit. To allow you to continue the work 
forgiveness and salvation. That, that, that will stop thinking in terms of I'm saved on being saved. This realization, Lord, that you're not finished with any of us. Give us the boldness. Give us the courage to not hide sin. To not hold on to dead things and excuse it for something that it's not. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure pure hearts. Renew a right spirit within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand from the back and begin to receive your own. Hear the good news. You've been invited. No matter what others may say, your darkest sins will be forgiven. You will always have a place at the table of grace. Cups never empty, plates always full. It's never too late to come and be filled with a love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. So come, you weak and heavy-hearted. Try to hide your earthly scars. For in his eyes, we all are equal. Don't be afraid, come as you are. The table of grace, cups never empty, plates always full. Never too late to come and be filled with the love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. So come, you, that's not right. Let the weak first become the the poor put kings to shame their willing hearts will be their treasure by the power of Jesus name at the table of grace cups never empty plates always full it's never too
interesting thing that we do this this over and over of receiving the grace could, could it be that Jesus wanted to remind us and he began this just with the ideal that we're constantly in need of the grace of God that, that it's not a one meal how many of you just eat one meal and that's it right you eat one meal in your life and that's it no as you grow you just continue to eat sustains you. And, and perhaps one of the things we learn from communion is that God's grace is something that will continue to be needed for our entire life. From the first time we say yes to Him to the last breath we take, it will all be based on His grace in our life. The body of Jesus, which was broken for you. blood of Jesus which was shed for you which gives you forgiveness from sins, drink Lord we're thankful for these elements but Lord we're most thankful for what they represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken for us given for us because Lord you see us as worthy Lord may we um May we live up to the standard, this cost, this price that was paid for us. As we leave this place, Lord, may, may we allow your spirit to speak, to convict, to draw. May we be confessing people. May, may we be people who are drawn to community with one another. And Lord, may your spirit continue to work within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.